0: Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler. This is the second episode in the series, Did Jesus Preach the Gospel? This is the second part of the conversation about the fundamentalist perspective. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, if you enjoyed the first part, I hope you're here for the second. Uh, we got some more stuff coming, and then we will get back on track with this, with at least one episode on the more um, liberal perspective. Of what the gospel is. Uh, And then we might do a couple other episodes that spin off of, you know, trying to combine these two together. Regardless, there's uh, more content coming your way. I've got plans for more YouTube videos as well. So, yeah, just uh, stay posted. Thank you guys, as always, for listening tell them look out for my worldview cloudy when you sinking got you thinking
1: it's a whirlpool caesar in your pockets you can't see who's in your pockets but stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move wifey bob her head and make her curls move crown jeweler's character and this ain't
0: immortality with fairy dust never mm-hmm. yeah and so the, here's what it says in the introduction and so let's get to the maybe talk about the next uh Two, um, and that'll I think be enough for us so we talked about how the funnelist movement was a reaction to certain things within biblical interpretation and the next is uh the mission of Jesus and the role of the church uh yeah which is kind of the the bigger question we're answering yeah what is the mission yeah the mission of Jesus and the role of the church as uh Fundamentalists would say it.
1: Right. And, and a lot of that is this, you know, what is this great commission? We're to go into the nations making disciples. What does that look like? What does that mean? Um what are we called to? What is what is the the purpose of being here? And and I think for for evangelicals, we we've often said, you know, the purpose is to help lead people Resolation. Jesus, so that they can be saved and go to heaven, mm-hmm. um, and and so we see that you know opening up with, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Is the opening question. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad question, but but it does reveal some some assumptions that are happening here. Um, I wonder that if when when Jesus sent out his disciples as ambassadors of reconciliation, you know, proclaiming the gospel, I wonder if they're proclaiming that. God has come as king, that Jesus is king and will return as king. I wonder if if, if we were to listen to a first century evangelist, if their That's gospel it, yeah. presentation would have been recognizable at all to what we think of as a gospel presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say we get it all wrong, mm-hmm. um, because our, our salvation, our eternal destiny, our eternal life, is is beautifully part of this story of what does it mean when when we announce that that God has returned as king to his people to gather up the exiles, to to atone for sin, to bring about his justice, to bring about new heavens and new new earth, that that there'll be no more suffering or crying, that that this grand future thing, resurrection life, has begun with the the coming of this King. And, and I think there's such a more beautiful tapestry of what the gospel actually is. And we, we take just this little sliver out of it and say, this is the whole thing. And it robs the gospel, honestly, a lot of times of its beauty and of its depth and of its power. Um, You know, what does it look like to just show up in a conversation and begin to tell somebody what the kingdom of God is like, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what if that is an evangelistic endeavor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me tell you what, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Um, it's not like being the most important or the most successful or the most rich. It's about becoming a servant, caring about people more than yourself or as much as yourself about loving God by loving one another. You know, this is what the kingdom is like. Um, you know, it's like a mustard seed or it's like, you whatever. That's, that's how Jesus evangelized. <laughs> that was what his gospel message was. Um, he wasn't just wasting his time and he wasn't just giving a list of moral teachings, mm-hmm.
0: right? He's explaining
1: what this kingdom is.
0: Like. Someone wants to use to prove that something inside of me is different, that I have a personal salvation, which I think is true. Yeah. Um, very true. Um, the thing that I guess troubles me about it where the other portion isn't talked about is that it, it rarely is said or is, I guess, understood to me to be said in a sense that we do good or we are going to be good people as a church to bring about the kingdom. And those, those words don't have to be used, but, and maybe I'm just cynical, but it seems to be this thing about um, me proving about something that I have rather than uh, giving something to somebody else. Right. Uh, and, That's, I think, my underlying frustration with how the gospel is preached a lot and then how even the actions of Christians seems to be preached about is how it's going to affect my <clears throat> life or is or the fruit that I bear, which I think are all good. I'm not trying to just say these are bad right. things or things that we shouldn't talk about. I think we should talk about them. and. My other thing is, what would we expect from a culture that's all about how you act? What are you doing? Have you gone to counseling? Do you need therapy? Do you, what what clothes do you wear? How do you want to present yourself? How do you project yourself? What is all of that? Um, The very... Self-centered culture, even yeah. So I mean, we're, we're I, the hyper gospel gets wrapped up into that,
1: right? We um, we very much bring this hyper individualistic approach mm-hmm. to the gospel, and part of that is, you know, I, I believe salvation is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that that my sin is personal, but there, there's also, you know, I notice around me this lack of understanding or this difficulty with like corporate confession as churches um you know where we confess for the sin of, of christianity or of our our city or of our you know it's like you know we confess to you for our sins of systematic racism it's like well we have no had no part of that it's like but we struggle we struggle differentiate differentiating between what is like my individual responsibility and and who are we as a people um and, and the sense of corporate identity and and that's that's a big piece of this right because you're thinking about the kingdom and and this idea of it's not really about you it's about being a part of this kingdom that what god is doing that you get to be part of it mm-hmm. this part of it that's almost like unappealing i think to our hyper individualistic mind mm-hmm. we want to have a personal relationship with jesus i want to become better friends with jesus today than mm-hmm. i was yesterday and that's great but that's at the end of the day not what what the story of the new Testament or the whole Bible is about, right? It's, it, it's really, truly just not about us. It's about what we get to be part of corporately. And that's, I don't think that always sits well with, with us, with Americans. It's a hard pill to
0: swallow. And this is something that I'm, I'm currently, it's kind of the back burner of my mind uh, that I've been wrestling with is like, what is the relationship between the, community and the individual yeah um and uh i don't know if i want to bring it up because i might butcher it uh lewis talks about in i think it's in the four loves he talks about friendship and he talks about how because I, I remember one of my first we I had a british LA class at, M, at missouri state and they had their like year I want to say year slogan or their mission statement for the year whatever it was Mm -hmm. and so our teacher was like let us discuss just kind of open up get to know each other what we think about the statement it had something to do about community and unity and stuff like that and she asked a question just like about what do we think about individual versus community and I was like well I think that's a a false dichotomy Mm -hmm. Um, and I brought up something that Lewis says about friendship and he says you know, friendships are interesting because especially if you have a group of friends, you take one person out of the group and then each person seems to then become different Mm -hmm. because that person's gone. Yeah. Um, Right, I think about the days where I'm like, oh man, I really want to have like a good discussion so I'm going to invite so-and-so and -and -and Mm so-and-so. Or like, hey man, I just want to like, watch a movie or play video games. So I'm going to invite so and so and so and so. So it's like depending on what things I want to be coming out of even me as an individual, of the things right. that I enjoy and like depends on who I'm going to hang around. Yeah. Um and and I think that that just increases to multiply as, you know, the communities get larger. Um but yeah, it's just something that I'm wrestling with cuz I don't it's it's tough for me to swallow It's one or the other. Right. right, I think there's an important part. There's a re, and I'm even trying to figure it out in like the story of of Israel of the gospel yeah. is like the the salvation of the world of the people of God of the community of the church. Right, comes through the individual Jesus. Right, there, there's something there, and I'm I'm trying to grasp at it. I haven't done a lot of deep thinking or work about it yet. But just even, I think Lewis's analogy that I read a long time ago about how the community of friends will bring out certain aspects of people and you take someone out and the group becomes different. And then even, and I made this point to the person I was talking to, I was like, because, and he brought up something about, oh, I'm this and I'm that. And they're like two really different things, but it's like, depending on who I'm with, those sides of me will come out. I'm like, even you admit as an individual, who you, the group that you're with let certain parts of you shine. Right. Right. Um, and so I think there's a I don't know. It-
1: I, I think about like uh Daniel's prayer in Daniel nine, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the coolest chapters in the Bible, but he's praying, he's confessing, he says, We, you know, our sin, mm-hmm. we have sinned, Israel has sinned against you. And I wonder, it's like, well, which of those sins of idolatry is Daniel guilty of? Mm-hmm. You know which of the sins of Israel of of not taking care of the poor or not, you know, worshiping God alone. Which which of those sins was he personally guilty of? I mean, he's serious here. Like he's confessing he he has this sense of repentance and, and guilt. And where does that come from? Well, it's it's this corporate sense. He's crying out to God. He's broken because of the sin of his people. And it's like we, I think we we lose that. Mm-hmm we lose that oftentimes in our hyper individualistic faith. Um, but yeah, what I think the other, other side to that coin is, you know, that's, that's what the body of Christ looks like. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyeballs or toes Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, we're not all the same. We are different for a reason. And we all have parts to play together. Um, yeah. So uh, there's a, there's a big, that's a big piece of it is how do we wrestle through this individuality versus this corporate and what does that look like? What does it mean? Um, that's a, yeah, yeah, it's an intriguing question. How, how has my identity personally changed or what role is it? You know, what is this relationship, mm-hmm. um, in a community?
0: Yeah. And even in a non, so individualistic sense of salvation, yeah. um, which is, you know, what yeah. we're hitting on right now.
1: Right. Save Israel or, you know, yeah. God deliver your yeah. people or what is that? What are those kinds of prayers? What's, what's at the heart of them? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a sense of universalism necessarily. It's like not all, all people are going to heaven. Right. Cause again, yeah. it's. Like, and they, so
0: yeah, there is this sense of individualism in the acceptance of what God has done. Right. Um, right. And then there, you know, you have the debate of uh, what, what does Jesus say? He says, I've come for the lost house of Israel. Right. Right. Um. So well, I mean, what does that mean? I don't really know. I haven't right. done a lot of study, but even Jesus seems yeah. to be concerned there's with a corporate. There's a corporate sense, yeah. but there's also a sense where, right? I've not come the. It's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. So he's he's come for a, for a right. He specific, leaves the ninety nine and pursues the one. Exactly. There's a very mm-hmm. individual so, sense of that. Yeah, I think well, my point, and I think what we're both you know getting at is there's this real tension here yeah. that we seem to just say. Well, reject all that because that's that's religion, that's that's religion, or that's communism, or it's sure. whatever, or yeah. uh, um, a number of things you could you could tag it as, which I think right. you could ideologically make it certain sure. things that it's not supposed it. to be. Mm-hmm. You can you can mislabel it and mishandle it and misunderstand it, um. But then to just reject that all and then say, no, it's all about it's just about your relationship. Me and my Jesus. relationship yeah. is also incorrect because it's also ideological. Um, in, in some sense. Well, and we see
1: that we see that in any given church on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We gather corporately, well, before COVID with hundreds of people or thousands of people, and we sing these songs which are largely about me and Jesus. You know, and there's yep. some irony to that. Like yep. you've gathered together with hundreds of people to sing about my personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, I I think my heart cries out for where are the songs about, like, we, (laughs) the (laughs) we-ness, making up that awkward (laughs) word. (laughs) Yeah, but where is that, where is that corporate voice in, in Christianity? Who are we as a people? You know, I, we, how many times have you heard Bible classes about, or, you know, Sunday school classes or whatever, midweek classes at a church about, um, find your spiritual gifting? Yeah how many classes have you ever attended or seen offered at a church about what is this local expression of the church's role in the community? What is this church's specific gifting and how are we equipped to meet the Mm -hmm. needs and address our community? Well,
0: yeah. And Um, even, but even as I think about that, which I think is a great question that more people need to ask is, well, then when you ask, start asking that question, it's like, okay, we as a church know of individuals in this church who are good at XXX and who could lead, groups to do right. so I my right I love what you're saying my brain America like, goes to like well to play the part of the group mm-hmm. requires the individual so there's certain and there's all but this is the same thing that happens with um, discipleship which I think is a fantastic thing yeah um, and it is very much um, beneficial when it's done one-on-one or small groups okay. right there's I think specifically this has to happen in a discipleship or a mentorship role um, is there has to be humility on on both parts. Right. There has to be the humility of the mentor to say, "Look, I I don't know everything. I'm not going to have all the answers. I I have as many problems as you have. Maybe you know more, but I can help you, and I might be further along or might know more about." this thing that you'd like to know about or, you know, right. whatever it may be. And then the mentee also has to say, look, I'm going to have the humility to say, you might be just as flawed as I am, but I want to learn from you. Right. And there's something here that we're, there's, I think this is it. There's something here that we're both pursuing. Right. Right. This is what happens yeah. in a marriage. This is why the marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. Yeah. Right. It's the, both individ as Paul says, like, submit yourselves to one another. Why? Not out of reverence for each other. Right. Not because the other person's so great. Right. Right? They're just as flawed as you are, but out of reverence for Christ. Right. And so, again, there's this thing about, well, us as this community, as this church in this specific area, we want to serve it. So that means that as a community, we're going to have to have the humility to say, we can't do everything. Right. And then as individuals in that community, we're going to have to have the humility to say, look, this is what we're doing as a body. Right. Right. This is what Paul talks about. Why would the, I don't remember what he says, but why would the eye say, no, I don't want to be an eye. I'd want to be an ear. Or the ear say, I want to be an eye or whatever. Or the foot, not want to be a foot anymore. He's like, no, you have your role to play. And you have to have the humility to say, look, I can't do everything. Right. So I'm going to have to do my part and participate as an individual to be part of the whole body, be part of the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's, I guess that's kind of live, my working out of those two ideas. And I think to reject and just say, well, it's one or the other. It's either the whole community and all these things you could brand it that are inaccurate and untrue. Right. And then, or it's just the end of those, just my relationship is just my salvation. It's just my, um, since it's just my right. whatever, then it's also un- unhelpful and yeah. dishonest. Yeah. So, and there's there's hum- humility that has to happen on on all fronts. So, um, th- great. That was good. Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to hit on, and I'd love your thoughts because this is something that, as before we got into that part of the discussion, that crossed my mind. It's my other big. So honestly, I get disturbed about it. Sure. Uh, and how the gospel gets packaged many times, and I, I don't. I again, I don't think I'm the one the first to phrase it this way. I probably heard it from somebody else. But many times I see the gospels that get preached start in Genesis three and not in Genesis one. Yeah. They start with, "Well, you're sinful." Yeah. Well, you're bad. And it's and again it's always a you right. you're this thing. Or we as humans are sinful, so that means you are sinful, which is true. Paul makes the same argument. Yes. But the my point in saying it starts in three and not one is it starts with a a declaration of condemnation it starts for the declaration well, the same of- thing
1: happens in romans one through three when you when you hear the romans road mm-hmm. same process but, but if you look at the beginning of romans what's the big issue the big issue is this idolatry what is at the heart of idolatry and, and you hit the nail on the head what is going on in genesis one and two that results in this moral failing right mm-hmm. if if sin is missing the mark well what was the mark right? I mean, that's that's a great question. Is, is the mark just to be morally perfect and ethically pure? Uh, as the
0: evangelical or the right. would say.
1: Well, it, but to miss Genesis 1 and 2, to yeah. miss, we're crea- we're created to co-rule with God as priests in this garden temple space, as image bearers reflecting who God is like to the world and reflecting back to God, the praise and worship of creation. That's this amazingly high vocational calling. And when we sin, we fall short of that vocation to which we were called. We fall short of being truly human. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think the gospel is, is often presented in the, the, I don't know a better term for it, but overly moralized as far as, yeah, have if, if, if you ever lied before? You're a liar. If you've ever stolen before, you're you're a thief if you've ever yeah. whatever the thing is and and there's a there's a piece of that which is is helpful but it's the do you realize what you were made for
0: yes yes and do that's you realize that, me about that you're
1: it. not you're not getting to be the human that god made you to be you know and and that's that's like the the terribleness of sin you realize you were meant to be the idol the image Right? You know, mm-hmm. the temple, the, the idol in the temple, what is God like? You look at the idol. Oh, we're to be the reflection of God. Of God. And mm-hmm. instead we worship idols. Yeah. Like how twisted and messed up and perverse is that?
0: We're yeah. meant to be we, the We images. are idolizing things that should be subjugated to us. Right. I mean, we're we're exactly we're we're in even our own desires. You see that in yeah. uh, like we talked about the other day in the story of Adam and Eve and in the story of Cain, right. very, very graphically in the story of Cain. Um, so yeah.
1: And, and, and part of the kingdom gospel is what is our role in the kingdom? You know, you think about revelation five, You, know, what does it look like to be ruling with Christ? I, I mean, think think like how many minutes have I ever spent actually thinking about that? I don't even know where to begin with those kinds mm. of thoughts. It's like, what does it actually mean that being part of the kingdom, we, we will be image bearers and priests and, you know, co-ruling creation with God here on the earth. Like how often do you hear that in a gospel presentation? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but that's what sin looks like. It's, it looks like us failing to live up to what we were meant to be as humans.
0: Yeah. And I think that what you just presented in those two, three minutes right there is what I feel like is just sliced off and disregarded, Mm -hmm. Many times when I hear the gospel to young adults, it's, well, you're morally bad. You've done bad things. So, which is true. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is true, but it, it frames it in such a way that I say yes, but cause then the other side of it is what you hear all the time is like your heart is deceitfully wicked and um the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, which is a quote from, is it from Isaiah or is it Psalms? Uh,
1: I think it's Isaiah. Yeah, um, Jeremiah talks about... Or No, it's it's Jeremiah. You're right.
0: It's so, yeah. Jeremiah. Look at me not knowing go. what it's book right. of the Bible it comes from. <laughs> um, but you hear a lot of time. And then, but then you think about, and this is not talked about much because it doesn't start in this place before, of how even when you're a Christian, people will say a lot of time, oh, don't listen to your heart. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't do what you... Feel like you should do and then my response as of recent has been but don't you understand that you're a new creation that you have a new heart that the holy spirit lives inside of you
1: yeah, your heart of stone has been replaced if, with the heart of flesh now. if
0: we're going to talk about how god can't dwell where there's sin or look at sin like that why would he live in you if you're so sinful if you, if your heart is still so bad, he wouldn't live there, but he does. So what does that mean? That means that something has happened to you. You are now fulfilling that thing that you are able to, we, a better way to say it, you are now fully able to, because of Christ being your representative, because of that atonement that took place, you're now able to take that identity and live in it and be... That partner, as as you were supposed to be in the beginning, as another representation of God on Earth, you are able to co-create, to bring about the kingdom, to do all that. And it doesn't mean you don't trust yourself. It means you trust yourself more. Yeah, there, there's and,
1: there's some interesting interesting pieces to that, and and, and ultimately it makes us more dependent on on mm-hmm. Christ at work in us, yeah. which is where we're supposed to be right? To be humble and, and say, I don't know. I can't trust myself, but I trust Christ in me, the hope of glory. Like there's something going on in me. I trust the Holy Spirit is empowering me. God lead me. I need you. I can't mm-hmm. do this on my own. So yeah. And I think that's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus every day is, is living in that.
0: Yeah. I just definitely see a connection between where we seem to start the gospel and then even how we perpetuate that idea, post, yeah, salvation. And I think the, I think that while this one is true, it gives a frame that I think is at least incomplete. And then this one I think perpetuates a lot of fear and self doubt when I don't think we need it.
1: I see that. Yeah, that's 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 something interesting to think about. I have to spend some more time thinking about that, I
0: appreciate it. But but yeah, I so I I love what you had to say though. Yeah, but that's been a big thing for me is is this whole maybe it's yeah yeah is we start the gospel in a place that that doesn't give hope for what God is trying to do. And what God wanted to do, even with with humans, even though we're not the biggest player in the story, like you said, there's truth in it. We we play a big part in bringing about the kingdom. We play a big part in bringing about what God is doing on earth. And so it's not to make it all about us, but it's to put us in the right perspective of we were meant for something great.
1: Yeah. It's to give us the proper vocation. Yes. What is our job in this kingdom Mm -hmm. building project? which is a a very different way to look at Christianity, I think.
0: Yeah. And again, I think that, that frame there, as we talked about, um, might heal some of that dissonance we feel with the individual and the corporate, because that frame of how does it look for me to participate in the kingdom of God, to partner with God, it takes so much humility, which is why God partners with Abraham in the first place. Um, but maybe another conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. But yeah, I think that, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, Luke, thank you for having me. Yeah. Look forward to getting to talk about some of the other, other parts of it. We didn't get to today.
0: Yeah. Here, let me, so I might cut it here. Yeah. Um, I think if you want to take 15 more minutes, I might cut some of the beginning. If we want to keep talking about, because I think we've hit on something, that I think is really great. Right. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, we can Because um, I think this is more so, not more so what I wanted to say, but I think I've found. You found navigated s- to it? Yes. Go for it. Um, which is why, I love Joe Rogan when he talks about like, you only get to feel a conversation out for like four or five minutes. So I talk to people for three hours because yeah. like all the things kind of fall away yeah. after about an hour. Um, so I, I don't know if I have more on that actually. Um, i trying to think maybe. I mean, do you have any other <laughs> thoughts on some of that? as far as like the cuz i i i think with everything we've said about um how we think about you know kind of the fundamentalism split mm-hmm. of your personal salvation your sense of um you know atonement <laughs> your relationship with jesus is framed in almost a very selfish manner um, and not in a sense that you want to exclude other people. I think that that's being fixed a lot. Right. Um, but in a, in a sense of, uh, of I'm the point.
1: I think, I, I mean, this is a caricature. There's no, there's no Christian who believes this, but we often act this way, which is that God is a means to an end for us. Mm-hmm love him, like him, or hate him, we need him to get to heaven. And he he becomes this, this genie in a bottle or this mechanical mechanism for how we get to heaven. These are the hoops we have to jump through. This is what we have to believe to get there. And, and again, that's a caricature that I don't think anybody actually believes, but we often treat him that way. Treat it that way. Yeah. Treat him that way. And we miss, we miss the point. Um, Yeah. So there is something there, you know, I think fundamentalism comes back and is making a response to say, no, no, salvation is, is critical. Mm -hmm. And it is. Yeah. Um, But by trying to, to lock it into this little tiny box, it it actually makes it artificial in a way it wasn't, it's not,
0: you know? Um, Yeah. And you, and you brought up, so keep going if you have.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, to, to make it formulaic of, you know, close your eyes, pray this prayer, raise your hand, walk an aisle, come to the altar. You're a Christian. Now you're saved forever and ever. We get that. Those are mechanisms to try to get people to have something happen in their heart, to provide an opportunity for the Holy spirit to work in them. And I'm not trying to say that they're bad, but, but I think we, we do injustice because that, that is not what I think Jesus understanding of the gospel was. Um, you know, that for them, they really truly were expecting a physical king to come show up there and rule. And Jesus says, yeah, that guy's here, but this kingdom looks different. Um, so
0: I mean, you brought up Zacchaeus the other day and I, have been thinking about that story because he's a man who's curious about Jesus, uh, who comically is short um, and that's used for some some comedy mm-hmm. in the story itself. Um, and Jesus finding him in the tree and saying, "You come down from there, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm gonna eat with you. I'm gonna be at your house," which is, I don't, I don't think we begin to grasp the what's going on there, the severity of Jesus's self invitation to his house. Yeah. Um, but you know what happens? We don't know the conversation, but we know the results of it. Right. Is that. Whatever's talked about, something happens, to give credit where credit's due, something happens in Zacchaeus, yeah. and he says, well, man, now I, I see something now, I know something that I didn't now, I, I, I realize I accept something that I wasn't there before. And he makes a proclamation to go and then do something different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did you say? Today, salvation has come to this house. didn't pray prayer. He didn't, uh, close his head and bow his eyes. And, uh, you know, Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Right. So what does this mean? Salvation has come to this house.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think about the, the thieves on the cross and, you know, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What, what was it that was in that man's heart? What was it that he confessed with his mouth in that moment, talking to Jesus, you know, telling the other guy to knock it off. This guy's innocent. What was happening there? That Jesus gives him this assurance, this beautiful assurance that today you're going to be with me, whatever that means, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever's going on there. He gives him this beautiful reassurance. Um, so I, I think it's just not we we want to make it very clean and messy because we want to be in the in the process of turning out turning out disciples, which is is a is a good motivation. Um, but we, we lose the end goal of the kingdom.
0: Have you Mm -hmm. ever read, uh, the divine conspiracy? Mm -hmm. Okay. This just made me think a lot about how he frames the first portion of the book, Yeah, about how we've focused on making converts rather than disciples. And it's funny, you bring up the magic words. This is unrelated, but related. So I was in the car with my dad one day and he was listening to Shapiro's radio show and, you know, very, very Jewish man, Ben Shapiro. Um, and he was talking about something. I don't remember exactly what, but he was saying, you know, people just think if you say these magic words, then like, it just goes away. And, uh, and I leaned over to my dad kind of unironically being like, and this is why Ben Shapiro is not a Christian. And it was like in that moment though, I had this realization of like, oh yeah. Cause we frame it all the time as like, well, you say these magic words and there you go. Poof. Um, which doesn't seem to be what Jesus instructs to any of his disciples, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I love how Andy constantly, Andy Stanley constantly frames mm-hmm. um, repentance and Christian, being right. a Christian is, no, what did Jesus say? Follow me.
1: Right. Or, or you know, teacher, I, I want to have, an, I want to be part of this age to come. Mm-hmm. this eternal life. What
0: must I do to inherit yeah. eternal life? What's the thing on my checklist that I must right. What's knock off thing? and say? What's the
1: thing? He said, well... You, keep all the commandments. And he's like, I've done that check. You've got it. he says, well, you're wealthy. Give your money to the poor and give everything you have and follow me. Um, what's going on there? You know, Jesus just pinpoint targets the issue of idolatry that's going on with him. The thing that's keeping his heart that has capture of his heart. And he's identifying that, um, but he just kind of leaves him there. And and it's kind of unsatisfactory for our evangelical minds. It's like, no, you had him on the ropes. Now you got to <laughs> yeah. just start leading him down the process and let's get him there. Um, but it wasn't, that's not how Jesus did it. And it, it it's funny because we can get frustrated and mad at him sometimes reading mm-hmm. the gospel. Like, how come he didn't know how to do it?
0: Um, yeah. I, I rem- that reminds me. And then that with the the talk about magic words reminds me of a a story when uh, my family lived in Africa and there was this lady uh, who lived in a village not far from our house and my mom and some of her, her friends, her national friends were going and and ministering to her. And um, I think the, I don't remember the whole story around her. Um, I believe that she was a, a widow and, so they were, you know, doing ministry to widows in the area. And so they went and they talked to her. And um, and I don't know, from what my mom remembers of the story, uh, she didn't like get on her knees and pray a certain prayer or, or, you know, her friends didn't lead her into a mm-hmm. confession of faith per se, mm-hmm. as, as we would frame it. Um, but they came to see her again and again, and she just was, became a different person from what my mom said from the account. Uh, that she made and very very much became a Christian,
1: yeah, uh
0: but we had other missionary friends mm-hmm. who literally asked the question, "Well, how do you know she didn 't pray the prayer right and it 's like
1: well, <laughs> <laughs> you 've missed the point, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: so yeah, I think that our 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 frustration with Jesus being like. Well, no, you you had him. You 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 could have just said, "Well, hey, look, say these things, and then you're good." Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, "No, the point is that there's again, it's the story of the guy that says, you know, uh, well, he wants to follow him. He's like, Jesus, I'll follow you. Let me let me come with you." And he's like, "All right, let's go." And he says, "No, let me bury my father," which yeah. which meant like, "Let me stay with my dad and my yeah. family till they all die," and then. Once they're good and gone, I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 and he gives that cryptic "Let the dead bury their own dead" mm-hmm. phrase. And you're like, what is going on? Why does he seem to reject the people that are coming to him and saying, "Let me be a part"? Well, because he knows that there's something in the way. Right. And once he points it out, and they say, and they kind of admit their own idolatry and say, well, no, I still want that thing. But then once this thing's good, then I'll, I'll follow you. And he's like, no, you missed the yeah. point yeah. because I can't give you magic words to say, I can't give you, I can't give you disciples seven words to sum up what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. or teach you. It's you take up your cross and you, you follow me and I'm taking, I'm walking this path. We talk about the narrow path and the broad path and just all the ways in which Jesus talks about the gospel and the parables, which is something we will... Why why does he even teach in parables? Yeah. right. Why does he
1: make it hidden? Why does he make it difficult? Why does he make it mysterious?
0: Yeah, and that's something that Matt brought up and we had a conversation on here about the importance of the Eastern mindset in Christianity. And and Matt's point (coughs) so beautifully was um, if it were that easy, if it were that basic or, or, um, basics, not even the right word. If it were that easy, I guess is the best way to say it, then maybe it wouldn't really be worth it.
1: Right. And, and I think that the, the alarm bells that start going off in my evangelical head, is like, okay, you guys are making it into works now, right? You can't get saved by praying a prayer. You've got to do all these things no, that's to miss the point too. <laughs> Who then can be saved? Nobody. With with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's this beauty in which a child knowing so very little can come to faith, genuinely and truly, and transformatively. And and a theologian can wrestle with what's needed for salvation until he dies and, you know, and never figure it out. So it's both brilliantly simple. And infinitely impossible. Um, And how that works together, yeah, it makes me sound like it's a little wishy-washy. It's both simple and really, really hard. So there's a tension there. There is.
0: Yeah. And it's something that I, much like the community and the individual aspect I've been wrestling with, that's something that's also been in the back of my head is like, okay, so what is this relationship between faith and works? Right. And- Again, I think that's also some sort of false dichotomy we've created um thanks again, Martin Luther but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't <laughs> it also gets into this idea of this Eastern versus western view of sin. I don't know if you've heard very much about this, but uh you know the the Westerner views something as sin, it's like it's in me it's I have to get it out of me. Jesus has to take it away. And I think there's a part of that that is true. There's a part of my nature that gets reborn and recreated when I decide to follow Jesus. Um, but then there's also this Eastern perspective, which is what Jesus seems to be found so much in how he talks about to repent. Come and repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. What does he mean? Well, and the Eastern and it's so funny. Marty tells the story of he'll take groups to, you know, travel to to Israel. And there's a guy who who runs a shop there that they go and visit. And he says, You Westerners are so funny, you you think of sin as something to get out of you, and you like pray for God to take it away. Whereas for me to stop sinning means I just stop doing that thing. And I and, and again, I I I don't know if either one is just that simple. Right. But There's, there's, there's this strange overlap that I think needs to be accepted, wrestled with, because, and we know it. For me to just say, "Oh, sorry, God, I'm not gonna do that thing again," we always. Well, if you keep doing it again, well, is your confession sincere? Are you really repenting? You always ask that question, right? Do you really mean it? Um, And, of course, the answer is, well, without Christ, I would be dead in my sin and my trespasses. Um, But even when Jesus talks about sin and forgiveness of sin, in the Lord's Prayer, it seems to be this, God, forgive, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There is this reciprocal nature, whereas I think it's the same way with, you know, my sin in me and my sin that then I do. Right. And Paul talks about that in Romans right. seven, but I think that the, the ultimate thing is the, I, and I don't, I, yeah, again, I don't really understand it yet, but there's, there's something to be said of I'm forgiven of my sin and I'm freed for, and I'm like, that atonement portion of I am forgiven for my sin. But it also means that I'm freed <coughs> to not sin anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. You're freed from your penalty of sin. Cool. You're freed from the power of sin. Yet, You're free to not sin, but you still struggle with sin. And how does that all work out? Um, you're not stuck. You're not a prisoner to it anymore. It's power on you has been defeated. And yet, I still struggle with sin so you know, what do we how do we process that as believers and and those are those are tough, tough things to to wrestle with and um you know repentance is not a one-time thing it's a daily daily thing um, or at least it is for me so yeah that that's part of the the path of daily dying to yourself is. You know, we're carrying around the crucifixion in us. I'm just constantly bearing that in me. And yet I'm also being renewed day by day.
0: Yeah. And it's, well, I brought, right. And I brought that up because you said, you know, oh, it's about works. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. But we even admit that the other part of me, like, that then fights that idea is, well, then we even admit there's something about like not sinning anymore. It's like right. at once, Christ's power to forgive me and be my atonement. But I also have a decision to make in am I going to live in that or not, right. as we would yeah. phrase it. Um, am I going to listen to the Holy Spirit or not? Am I going yeah. to, you know, am I God has done the work to how I might frame it right now is would say, God has done the work to let me partner with Him, to let me, He has given me full capability to eat of the tree of life again to sit under his life to be a part of of that to have that kind of relationship that partnership with him right. to then work out how I should be involved in in the world and and in my community but it's my option as it was Adam's option and Eve's option to take it or not
1: Well, and part of that is the tension of God's kingdom being already, but not yet. And that tension of, um, yeah, 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 God is king, but it doesn't look like it. I mean, spouses still cheat on each other. Kids still get sick and die of cancer. Dogs get hit by buses. Like, Jesus is king. This is what it looks like, right? And and there's a sense of allegation. Sin is defeated in us. Really? <laughs> How's that going for you? Um, you know, there's new creation has begun. If anyone is in Christ, new creation is begun. I mean, my my knees hurt, my back hurts. It doesn't feel very new to me at the moment. And so there there is a very real mystery of like we believe it has begun, but there's a very real sense in which it is not completed yet. And, and yeah, that power of sin has been defeated, but we really are waiting for the return of Christ so that we can be delivered from the presence of sin and the presence of brokenness. Um, and that's why we call, you know, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's why I think that's, you know, at the heart of being a Christian is is that sense of expectation of, of enduring as ambassadors in these little outposts of new creation, hope and life, and new kingdom life, waiting for the day that the King returns. Um, and, and that is much more to do. That's a probably that's a better understanding of eternity than going to heaven when you die, right?
0: Yeah, and it's like you quoted uh, from from Romans, like given the ministry of reconciliation, right? Well, what's part of that reconciliation is saying look, there's this new thing, as Jesus announces, this new thing that God is doing through me and then by my disciples, he's going to do it. Again, you see that God has the creation, he starts the new creation, and then the disciples, he says, I want you to partner with me in doing this. Very similar to God's call to Adam and his, well, in Jesus, to, there's some stuff there. Yeah, that that's, that's I'm what's going that's on not,
1: in 2 Corinthians 5 when, when he's saying God's reconciled us to himself. Yep. and has been given us the ministry of reconciliation. Of
0: reconciliation. We're, so
1: we've become ambassadors yeah. of, and,
0: and part of that is what you were saying, and is that I'm even reconciling my new self from my old self, yeah, and my own sins that I do. You know, continue to yep. walk away from. But even the world that I'm in, like you were saying, bringing these little outposts of new creation is to say, I'm reconciling what God started, what is now, mm-hmm. so that even though it's not yet, it when it becomes the yet, mm-hmm. it's people will still be able to like, let your light shine before men. Let me see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. That's what that is. That's that reconciliation of there's this broken world that is in that is to be renewed and as one who is part of that renewed creation i'm going to then bring that about in how i live as an individual and then in the community in which i live
1: yeah you know i think about we talked we started this conversation talking about this pauline gospel in in first corinthians 15 and this is the gospel you were saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I think I think a great way to to end is is to get a little further down in that chapter. And like, what is the purpose of this death and resurrection? What is the purpose of our salvation? What is the purpose of what God is doing in all this? And so I just want to read this little chunk. Um, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since through a man came death, Also through a man came the resurrection of the dead. For just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own group, Christ is the first fruits. He's the first of this resurrection. And those who are in Christ at his coming, then the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, For it is necessary for him, Jesus, to reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be abolished is death. For he has subjected all things under his feet. But when it says all things are subjected, it is clear that the one who subjected all things to him is not included. But whenever all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him in order that God may be all in all. That's really dense Paul stuff going on here. But the purpose of this atoning work, the death, the resurrection, the the purpose of us and our destiny, the purpose of the kingdom and, and all this stuff that is happening is so that all powers and authorities could come under Jesus. And Jesus lifts them up to God, the father, and God becomes all in all. The point of the gospel is God becoming all in all. And and that's it's like, man, that's a that's a radically different message. Um and and it is, you see, it's like this Pauline gospel about salvation is for the purpose of the kingdom. Um and they are they are lockstep one and the same.
0: Yeah. Well. No better place to end it, like you said. So, Alex, thank you for... Yeah, thanks for having joining me. ...joining me for the first part of this discussion. Hopefully, yeah, hope soon we again. will talk about the other side. The other half. Of it, not awesome. just the evangelical fundamental side of how the gospel gets misrepresented, but the yeah. social side that says, well, it's a shame Jesus ever had to die. Side. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, I I very appreciate this conversation. Yeah. Um, gone longer than i thought we that's would, all right. But it's it's been a good one so uh yeah so thank you guys very much for listening of course this has been the belfast podcast with uh luke byler i'm your host and alex smith joining me this week yeah, um, join us next me. week as yeah, we talk about the other side of the gospel they always say they Thank going you. through it
1: life is a female dog that would be me she said let's go to hong kong but i'm only 18 ain't got money for hong kong if she had asked me last year i'd have been long gone shit cuz we all dogs and i hope we all go to heaven i promise we had it all wrong Circa 2007 uh it's so true these mind games control you passion is full of its own hue Cold blue, sewing old news with my whole
0: crew. It's mixing partners, just follow suit, switching garments like Mr. Rogers.